with the fifth edition. Join our various gaming groups as we play the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe just hang out and chat about gaming in general. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok's story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, Jim here with Creative Play and Podcast Network. Joining me today is John LeMay who's going to be sharing a really cool Kickstarter going on that I myself am supporting, which is the 5E Inspired by the National Parks. Hey, John. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jim. Hey, thanks for joining us. Yeah. So uh, do me a favor, John, and uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners and uh, give us a little little teaser on what uh, 5E Inspired by National Parks is all about. Well, I'm John LeMay. To tell you a bit about 5E Inspired by the National Parks, it's digital content that I envision as drag and drop, so to speak, into your campaign. So it's a set of tools such as battle maps, voice acting, uh, some monsters that are all inspired by the national parks. That's cool. I mean, I love the the first park that you picked, which, you know, Yosemite. You know, that's that's a great environment to pick. Yeah. So now my prototype is on the Badlands uh, because that's where I took the family last summer and in addition to some other parks in the Dakotas. So the prototypes on the Badlands and it, I think it's a pretty good combination of battle map along with an encounter for each tier uh, on that battle map and taking the features of the battle map and really tying that into the real world so that it inspired by the national park, having the box text for those features voice acted so that you can click a button and it just sort of reads the box text for you. And what else goes with that? I know sometimes when I just say this, it's hard to, to envision, but also on just that inspired part, what I did for the cartographer is I curated a couple of the iconic you know, five iconic photos from the Badlands and said, hey, please make the battle map based on these photos. And one day GM did a great job in in really capturing the essence of those. So, you know, we're doing this audio only, so I can't like uh, show this to you, Jim. But if you take a look at picture of a cliff face in the Badlands, mm-hmm. they have these dark uh, crevices that just sort of look like caves, but in real life they're not. And when you look at the the battle map, you can absolutely see that. You can see the mixed grass prairie that's on top of the tables in the Badlands. That's evident in the battle map. Some of the sandy areas are evident there. So it's fun to have that real-world inspiration and try and bring it to life in a digital role-playing context. Yeah, I, I love how, how you basically let art imitate life because, hey, here's these great settings that really exist. Here's real pictures, real information. So you can make it totally, you know, translatable to players of, hey, guys, this is what the map looks like. Here's what the picture looks like. It really makes it a lot more, you know, inclusive to get your characters in, you know, your players into their character's point of view so that way they can see, hey, here's the situation. You know, and I, in my little very silly Kickstarter video, I sort of tee up this point where, you know, I'm playing the role of the DM in that thing. And I'm like, hey, you all go into the elven forest. And uh, the players, uh, <laughs> by my, my Muppets there, are a little discouraged because they've been into one or two or three or 20 elven forests in their 
role-playing careers. And so I just try and bring out that that idea that you know we have some just amazing geography in the real world, and a lot mm-hmm. of it's sort of teed up, curated for us in the form of our national parks, which which honestly don't you know scratch the surface. If, because I limited myself, I bounded myself by U.S. national parks, and there's just so much other stuff out there. But those are great. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of curated for us this amazing geography, and it helps you know break out of of some of the standard uh, tropes in fantasy role play. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of the whole you know Badlands area because you know we do a lot of Western gaming, and you know. Come on, badlands and deserts are something that we have a big key in. If you look at uh, Western Texas, you know that's that's the topography I rip off. I mean, borrow as a GM all the time, so that way I can give people pictures and maps, especially if you're doing digital. You know, it's boom. There's a real world map using for game content, and it's it's great. Just you know, introducing folks who have no idea what's you know, granted not in their backyard, but still within you know a day or two drive within the U.S. that you can go see this completely different topography. It's definitely something else. And, of course, you know, I love the second choice, which was the Everglades, which, you know, that totally fits into a lot of the nautical-themed uh, campaigns that we've played in the past because you have that beautiful swamp. And I'm hoping maybe lizard men because, you know, it's the Everglades. Yeah, for sure. So, so when you're saying that the two choices or the ones that have made it, uh, you know, when I started the the Kickstarter, I sort of imagined my idea was, hey, the backers would get to pick. And but I got some feedback that it would be a lot more appealing to people to maybe know what parks are, are in it. And so now I've sort of mixed it both. And as the campaign's going, backers are, are voting on which parks. Before I did the campaign, just in the Facebook group, I was asking for feedback and, and overwhelmingly, like with more than twice other parks, uh, people wanted Yellowstone. And so that's the first park. I sort of chose it off the off the bat and teased a little bit of Yellowstone in the thing's description. So that's park number one. Uh, backers voted on Everglades and. And it was close. There's a couple ones that are close. And then as we go on every four days or so to the end of the campaign, then I'll release, you know, the next three parks. There's going to be five total and we'll see what, what they come up with. And it, it should be really fun. I, you know, if, if somehow all the rest of the parks were, were swamps, then, you know, I'd make sure we get some varied geography in there. <laughs> But I doubt that'll happen. Yeah, I just uh, today's the 11th and I just uh, committed my votes for the 15th. My top vote was, of course, you know, Grand Canyon, because I, I just love the Grand Canyon here in Arizona. That that it's iconic. It, it's wonderful. And the when I counted all the votes this morning, Everglades came in with five. And then there's a series of parks that were right behind it. Grand Canyon's one of them. So Glacier Bay, Grand Canyon, Petrified Forest. Hot Springs, which surprised me, Dry Tortugas, Carlsbad uh, Caverns, and Bryce Canyon, all all coming in with with four votes. And so, anyway, I hope that people continue to to participate in that that survey. Nice, those are all good picks. So uh, I'll give you a little feedback when I've been Q and Aing my player group. Basically, I hit them all up for the last uh, day or two to say, hey, what parks would you guys be interested in in case, you know, I get stymied on my vote? And uh, my gaming group, the the top four that they came up with was uh, Grand Canyon, Hawaii Volcanoes, which I thought was interesting because nice. somebody wants some fire giants. Then it's Biscayne Canyon National Park that I had to actually look it up. It's actually a barrier reef park offshore in Florida. Yep. Which um, and that totally came from our high seas pirate group, so that explains it. Our sea elf wanted a reef environment, and then uh, that that was pretty much their vote, which you know I thought was interesting because everybody mentioned at least one park that was different from everybody else. And it's almost all the parks have got at least a vote, and so yeah, it's it's fun and it's it's exciting. And of course, if this goes well, then there'll be. Five done out of 63, you know, <laughs> eight left to go, right? And so 
there'll be an, uh, an opportunity, I'm sure, in the future for another five. Um, you know, I I myself was sort of thinking diversity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not too fixated on any one parks, but an island would be fun, and there's tons of islands out there. Uh, the Channel Islands off of California, Acadia and Maine has has islands, Island Raiole, mm-hmm. uh, the Virgin Islands, American Samoa, Dry Tortugas, you know, so that would be pretty cool. It would it would be double cool if we get uh, to the first stretch goal, which is a overland map as opposed to a battle map, because mm-hmm. I think that's fun to have for an island. Yeah. Uh, maybe a desert park. So Death Valley, Great Sand Dunes, uh, Sagaro, uh, all great possibilities. And, you know, a cavern might be really neat. I'm a little nervous. I mean, Wind Cave, and it's just so massive. It has so many tunnels and caves and systems. It's just incredibly huge. Same with uh, Carlsbad Cavern. Uh, I don't think quite as big, but still just massive and huge. And so I get a little bit nervous, you know, if this funds at one battle map. Mm-hmm. I even it can be inspired. I could get some of the of the uh, unique geological features into that battle map, but I can't really do the scale of those cave systems justice. So yeah, that could know. totally be a source book all on its own of just Carlsbad Cavern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and then you find out, hmm, what creatures can we populate that with? So is there any parks that you're hoping make the list besides the ones that have already been picked? I guess those were was what I sort of teed up there and said instead of putting my money down specific ones i did categories the island category Mm -hmm. the desert category maybe the cavern category although redwood could be fantastic for a forest setting for a not elf forest right a (laughs) non-elven forest (laughs) so i'm uh i guess pretty pretty open i'll tell you that myself by so last summer what I did with the family is we went up to the Dakotas and hit the Badlands, which inspired the prototype. But we also did Theodore Roosevelt. And I'm losing my mind. I feel like I'm forgetting one that's right there. But but anyway, so we did that area, and that was great. And this coming summer, we're looking at the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I'm in Colorado, so we're going to – go head out there via Glacier National Park and then head over to the North Cascades, Mount Rainier, and Olympic National Park. And and so anyway, it would be fun, you know, to be making and creating one that I actually go visit, right, while I'm doing it. So that that would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) That way you could happen to get a couple pictures just for the – adventure of just like hey here's something i was actually at first person's perspective that's right or you know totally say this is totally a business trip and not a vacation trip <laughs> yeah. then uh maybe i can do something with that mileage that that would be cool that would definitely be cool so well uh, one thing with the game is you've gotten some custom creatures which which is always a good thing you know find a thing and make it your own so so far are there any custom homebrew creatures that you think are your favorites so far? So my, my favorite is the Sinomian. That's a prairie dog person. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a not very deep name. The genus is uh, Simus, C-Y-N-O-M-Y-S. I probably didn't pronounce that uh, brilliantly. But hence the Sinomian. And... So it's got a tie into real life. And the reason really it's my favorite is because there we were at Theodore Roosevelt National Park last summer. And those prairie dog towns are <laughs> just incredible. I mean, they were at Wind Cave. Oh, that's the other one we did last Wind Cave National Park. Uh, the reason I probably forgot it is because the cave was closed due to COVID. So we weren't allowed in the cave at all. And so it just looked, you know, it was just nice, nice uh, grasslands or whatnot. Um, but anyway, so, so there were certainly the prairie dog towns were, were there too. And in the Badlands, but there's this trail that we went on up at Theodore Roosevelt and it just went 
right through this prairie dog town. And my, at the time, two-year-old, my two-year-old son and four-year-old daughter too, but boy, let loose a two-year-old and four-year-old in the middle of a prairie dog town. <laughs> you know, they were having the time of their, their lives. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's my favorite. It's the, the Sonomian, the, the prairie dog people. That, that's awesome. Cause I could just see a sea of prairie dogs meerkatting up, you know, looking around and popping down into the ground, which is exactly what they were doing. <laughs> well, and of course that inspired the one picture that you have of the, uh, meerkat guy riding the, uh, ram. That's right. So that's a, that's the Sinomian, the prairie dog person, mm-hmm. uh, riding the, ram, the big horn sheep. And, uh, we, and so in the Badlands, we saw one of those big horn sheep. Um, and that's pretty cool, you know, to, to see him up on a, a cliff face there, sort of doing his thing, hanging out in a little shady spot, looking uh, at us sort of disinterestedly in the distance. <laughs> you know, and they, they are impressive as hell up close. I mean, a lot of folks think well, it's just a fancy goat, but they are actually pretty impressive. Yeah, they're, they're impressive enough that uh, with the little ones, I just wasn't going to get the up close view. <laughs> we we maintained our distance. <laughs> Don't want a headbutt from one of those horns, you know. Absolutely not. <laughs> After all, they got to live in the, the mountain lion territory, so they got to be tough, right? That's that's right. Although sometimes I think there's there's more chance of seeing a mountain lion in Colorado Springs than there there is in a park. But hey, <laughs> that's probably not wrong. You know, this is what happens when the uh, the druids get in angry and the animals invade the uh, city areas. That's absolutely right. Uh, we kind of did, but I was going to go back and, and ask about some more information about those, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, I, really, and we talked around it a little bit, but but I'll actually I'll back all the way up to you know what what inspired this whole thing. Five E inspired by the national parks, and and there's two two things. So one was what inspired Kickstarter in general. And so way back, I think it was 2017. I'm still in the army and I've got a commute and I'm listening to various podcasts on this commute. And somehow I fell into funding the dream podcast by Richard bliss. Uh, and you know, Jim, the, the sort of easy button when people retire from the army after a long career is to do the military industrial complex. And it was, it's sort of eye opening or expanding or whatnot to listen to Richard Bliss there talking about Kickstarters at the time. I mean, in 2017, he already had hundreds of, of episodes. So I, I'm just going through this uh, list of his episodes for months. It's like, wow, this is really interesting. Crowdfunding. What's, what's going on here? This is, Sounds fascinating. It's totally different than what I was doing at the time professionally. And so it just planted a, a bug in my head that that that's different, that's interesting. Maybe that's something I could do in the future. And so this last year, of course, COVID hit and I had a great in-person game going and and we had to shut it down. I mean, the Dungeon Master's um, wife is a nurse. You know, and so she's sort of on the front line of the COVID battle. I have, I have a, my youngest is now 10 months old, but she was born in April. And at the time, there wasn't as much confidence that COVID wasn't as, as dangerous for little children and infants. You know, the, the pediatrician said to me, like, hey, uh, the reason they call it infant mortality rate is because infants are more vulnerable to everything, common cold, pneumonia, whatever. And so so we went into pretty strict social distancing there for a while. And so I lost my in-person game, tried to make it up online, and it just didn't have that same same magic. And so I went through this you know, brainstorming with some people, some friends, and just sort of thinking, like, what would make playing online cool? You know, mm-hmm. and that led to these ideas. Okay, beautiful battle maps. Uh, I, I love a lot of the stuff that Wizards of the Coast does, but they've been on this stint recently with these black and white sketch battle maps that that drive me crazy. I just don't get the immersion from them online. 
you know. Mm-hmm. They, and so they they, think, they definitely come up a little flat on the uh, diversity. Yeah, and I think you just need a little bit more when you're you're playing through audio and and even when you get the video going, but you're playing with other people through a computer. It really helps the immersion if you've got a gorgeous map. So, so hey, gorgeous map with some point of view art would be great. And and then to get back to more specifically your question, that's sort of what led into the voice acting. And it was like a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, and not deeply researched or anything, but it's me and uh, eventually a couple friends are saying, what, what would be cool? Oh, it'd be pretty cool if we could have this narrated, you know? And so that's what that's what led to that. But the idea, the real driving force behind all this is to try and bring that same in-person magic mm-hmm. to the digital virtual tabletop that we're using since we're social distancing. And and it's not the same because when you play in person, you don't have a voice actor or whatnot or anything like that. But you probably have a good rapport with the dungeon master in person. You're not trying to communicate through technology. You're actually there. And so just looking at someone, well, what does technology offer? What kind of tools could be fun or different and try and get you to the same place, but a little bit in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, as a GM, I totally appreciate the fact that I could actually click a button and take a quick drink while the narration's coming through. I don't want to have to say that line. (laughs) And you're, and the voice actor you picked is great. Yeah, they, Simon. Simon's good. Uh, he's great, as you said. I I love Simon. He's uh, he's uh, available. Most all my research on this is uh, through Fiverr. So what is he? Logic, Logic voice on Fiverr. Um, but anyway, he's a former British Army, which for me was a a little bit of a draw there. And then I did a project for where I was talking about my experiences in Afghanistan and applying uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War to it. And anyway, so he he worked with me on that project, too. And so it was a natural go for trying this D&D. And it turns out such a small world, Jim. And so, you know, I'm like, hey, I've got this new project and have him do do that work. And it turns out that he's absolutely a gamer that he you know plays a a paladin in his uh, campaign in uh, the United Kingdom. And so it's, it's pretty fun. It's awesome. You know, it's it's like I've joked with many of friends. It's like, it's funny how uh, armed forces and RPGs kind of go along. You know, it's just it's just a thing I've noticed out there that uh, everybody that I personally know in the armed forces has role played at one point or another. And a lot of them picked it up in the military. Got to fill that free time with something. Yeah. Um, so I got my cousins. Uh, jumped on me uh, for they got me into role playing I guess pre pre military but yes it's certainly it's certainly popular um, I remember I remember when I was a cadet at West Point one of the things we had to memorize all the sports stuff and the upperclassmen saying hey the reason you have to memorize this this sports stuff is so you have something to talk to to soldiers about and then. Years later, what am I talking to the soldiers about? You know, like, hey, how is your how is your D and D campaign in the barracks this weekend? You know, because <laughs> it's one of those things that it's super easy to relate to from one gamer to another gamer. You've got that common connection of, hey, that's something you enjoy doing, and I understand. Absolutely. And besides, like a lot of my friends, I've joked with. It, RPGs are just tactical experience for you. It's practicing just like in real world, the real world. You're practicing what you would do beforehand. That's it. <laughs> it's uh, I think there's uh, a lot of value in playing war games. And I, I know there that there's a completely valid argument that that RPGs are broader and that you could do a role playing game. That's nothing but but tea parties and you just role play you know, being in tea parties all the time or, or whatever, whatever it might be. But I see a very strong connection in D&D back to its, its wargaming 
origins. And I think that that you can exercise the mind for real world applications. And, you know, I could go on a soapbox about this, but just <laughs> briefly. So the the wars that sort of characterize my generation, Iraq and Afghanistan, have very complex human dynamics. There are civil wars, insurgencies, and computers don't do those very well at all. I mean, computers do great jobs at tank battles where physics really determines everything. You can put a mathematical equation behind it, but a DM and players collaboratively narrating a story can get inside the human dynamics of a civil war much better than any computer ever will be able to. Very true. That's why why real tabletop RPGs will beat MMOs every time. For sure. And real quick, so I didn't say Simon's uh, gig properly. It's Logic VoiceOver. Logic VoiceOver. I'll definitely have to check him out because he's got a great voice. I mean, he really does. Yeah, absolutely. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy his work. I mean, and, and again, thank you for coming up with that great idea of just the one click and make it happen, you know. Well, I'm I'm hoping it uh, it funds well and and uh, it becomes a little bit more of a, a thing. So, and we'll see, you know. And after after I deliver the, this first project, I'll do some surveying and and see what people think how it how it actually works for them. Was it useful? And you know, Jim, some some people have said like, hey, that that just doesn't resonate with them, that they don't see the value in that. And you know, that I guess the question is, because everyone's gonna have a different opinion, but w- will enough people be interested in that feature that it's it's worth continuing? Definitely, because yeah, different people have different play styles. I mean. It's just like any gaming group, you know, no, no two gaming groups are 100 percent alike. But, you know, it's just it's good that you're open to getting the feedback to see of is this value added or is this just a cool thing to have that you you would use on every other day, you know, type of game sessions. So that's that is cool that you're open to the feedback on it. But I personally hope it kind of stick or sticks around because it's a cool little feature. You know, if you don't want to use it, you opt not to push the button. If you want to use it, push the button and take a drink. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm obviously one of those GMs that likes having the break in my voice and it doesn't feel like I'm PowerPointing everything out because really as a GM, I talk enough as it is. <laughs> and, and I've got, so if if it is well received, I can still continue to improve it. You know, one thing that as I've been been doing this is I've realized through, through doing some reading and some feedback, like, hey, I, I need to, try and make that box text as useful as possible. So in my prototype, I have some first-person stuff written in there, which then takes away agency potentially from the player characters. So as I go forward, I'll bring it firmly into the third person and make sure it's environmentally focused. Mm -hmm. And that way, you know, it has more generic application, doesn't take away player agency at all anyway just the basic principles of writing good box text but it's a new exercise for me that's it's definitely a practice like in real games when it's the whole uh you describe the scene nicely but you purposely keep things out because then the players say do we see anything else i don't know are you going to roll a perception check are you going to uh go ahead and see what you can see that i didn't tell you about (laughs) yeah and talking about skill checks so this is one aspect is I'm able to, as I write this, is there's a lot of opportunities for some of those skills that we don't use that often. For example, nature. Now, survival we use quite a bit, or at least my my experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, survival gets used a lot, but nature hardly ever gets used. But with the a lot of the real-world information baked into the little scenarios I do – then I think there's an opportunity to to bring nature and survival, maybe in some cases history or whatnot, but as useful skills to give some valuable information about the, the encounter to the to the players. And at the same point, 
those aspects can tie back to the actual park enough that it's actually educational. That's cool. See, I'm always a big fan of my players. Please use your skills. You know, you you invested in having one of a limited list of skills that you can have and use those skills. You know, I'm I'm a fan of the bard characters, so it's all about knowing stuff. You know, the power the power of knowledge is a powerful thing. It certainly is, and can if written well, I think can give some some good advantages to the players for the actual encounter. Definitely. It's like I've joked with players in the past of the whole, you can use this skill in a different way as long as you're asking. I mean, ask if, can I use my nature skill to figure out why this animal died at the watering? You know, you could totally use a medicine to see how it died, but could I use nature instead? And sure, I'll give you a dozen reasons why this water may or not may, may or may not be safe to drink. Right. Or totally safe. You just know that this this water looks like a perfect environment for water moccasins. It probably was drinking and got in the side by a snake. You know, the snakes are mean and they'll chase you down. My son is running around saying there's a snake in my boot all the time. <laughs> and that's that's totally the one I agree with is, is players should be using more skills. And if you give them good feedback as a GM, in my opinion, they will use more skills. But I think that's the hard part is making sure the GM knows that you can do these things. You have the freedom. Right. Yeah. And there's got to be some actual value and benefit uh, behind the skills. And typically, you know, some skills, right, perception, persuasion, mm-hmm. <laughs> are more valuable in more situations. But I do hope to incorporate a broader range of skills in, into these little scenarios and encounters. That's awesome. I mean, one of my favorite ones is always, hey, nature, to roll to see what the value of that plant is right there, you know, because you could totally say nature for medicinal, you know, herbs, you know, a lot of folks forget that one. That's right. I'm actually writing plant value down right now. <laughs> you know, that's, that's one that I love to do, too, is the animal habits, you know. So I see that there's deer in this area. What would be the most likely predators that predate on them besides owlbears? Because it's always about owlbears. It is. And and that's the an interesting part because all this has to have a fantasy backstory, too. So, you know, so for the, the Badlands little prototype there hey there's there's of course the real world geology about why it's like that but i put a a fantasy narrative into why the badlands are so bad and i i think there's a opportunity to, to combine the the two elements so that it's still it's still a fantasy game there's still those fantastic creatures that are dangerous that you're going to encounter with the real world inspiration as a as a foundation are are you kidding Uh, with the badlands you know i could totally uh if i was playing it as a druid or a ranger i'd be like so gm can i roll a nature to see what the weather's going to be like so we don't get fluttered out in that horrible canyon that's probably going to keep us trapped most of the day nothing nothing like a flash floods in a wadi yeah that's that's not a fun experience to be in it is not it's only half an inch of rain until you're in a canyon that's collecting all that rain for the next 10-mile area. Or is it a water elemental? <laughs> it's how the monster manual can inspire, be inspired by life. It, and, and you know, in some ways, this is not what I'm doing here is not original at all. I think there's real-life inspiration behind most of, of what we see in fantasy role-playing games, mm-hmm. whether it's culture, you know, human human dynamics, environmental features, yeah. and, and and so in some ways, my little project here is just being a little bit perhaps more specific on okay, this this thing right here, this national park is the source of the the inspiration for the battle map and the environment. But that's that's true of a lot of things. It's just that uh, you're you're coming at it from a different angle, which is really nice and refreshing. Well, it, it's been fun for sure. And like like you were saying, you know, Kickstarter does well. You have a lot more parks and locations that you can still touch base on. Yeah, and, and some some other ways to to potentially take it. I mean, some of the feedback I've gotten is 
is, hey, the little a battle map and some counters and some tools for that encounter, like the the box text mm-hmm. voice acted or the point of view art. You're like, that's cool. That's fun. But, you know, one point of feedback has been, hey, what we really want is a short adventure. So more of a structure that to tie that all together. Mm-hmm. And and then some people want a long adventure. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, only so much at one point. But but so a sequel Kickstarter could absolutely go down that a short adventure route as opposed to just battle maps and encounter. And I'm and I may, depending on how this thing funds, uh, try and flesh out that possibility right into this one. So we'll have to have to see how it goes. That's cool. But, and I, I am a fan of the single encounter, you know, format because that way GMs can pick and choose what they like and put in where they want, they want or need depending on their game night uh, prep time. Cause sometimes you have those GMs that just don't have prep time and it's like, crap, I need something. I need something in 30 minutes or less. And I think with, with the diversity of the national parks, it, it gives you a selection of stuff that can drop into any existing sort of campaign world. Right. You know, you can have your okay. well, the Badlands battle map. This is what we're doing in this fantasy campaign world. We're over here. Oh, yeah. The Badlands battle map would fit well there or the Everglades battle map. We're near the coast and swampy area. Boom. Everglades battle map or. Right. So Mm -hmm. it, it does have a lot of possibilities that way, too. And one thing you touched on earlier was the tiers. So uh, one thing I was going to ask is, what is the level range that you're going for in the encounters? One encounter per tier. So it's a battle map with a tier one. So that's one to, to five. Mm-hmm. Um, a tier two, you know, six to, to ten. A tier mm-hmm. three, 11 to 15. And then tier four. So one encounter for each tier. Now, you know, within those tier range, right, I mean, a... 11th level party versus a 15th level party that there's some difference in power there. <laughs> and so DMs will have to have to adjust that a little bit. I mean, they're gonna have to customize it for the their party a bit, mm-hmm. but I'll have a, you know, a solid base there. I mean, I, I'm sort of just aiming it right in the middle. Like we did the tier three encounter on my live play last night using shard tabletop. And I had, I designed it for the Badlands tier three counter at the 13 at level 13. You know, it's sort of right in the middle of tier three there. So DMs, if they've got 11th or 15th, you know, they'll have to customize it a little bit, but it's uh, with just a little bit of an adjustment, pretty easy within the same tier, take away creature, add a couple, mm-hmm. then that's what it is. So I didn't say I wasn't specific in level, but an encounter for each tier. Which which that's a good way of doing it, because that way I know a lot of folks when it comes to higher end tiers, they're just like, I don't know what to throw with them. So I throw everything. <laughs> so it's definitely good to give examples of, hey, guys, here's a good balance for this tier. Throw this at them and you have wiggle room. You know, it's not that, you know, like every adventure book out there says you have to, to customize this to your group. But here is the framework. Go for it. Which I, th- I think that's awesome. So that way it's it's got a here's an ecosystem and roll with it. I mean, let's look at the old first edition days where sometimes the game had a level 15 something when you guys were level one. And it was part of the adventure that you were supposed to run from this big bad that will chase you until it leaves, you know? Yeah. Curse of Strahd still does that in five years. Wrong place of that module. Oh. Exactly. Horde of the Dragon Queen does the same thing with the blue dragon at the beginning of the adventure. It's like, what? (laughs) But it comes down to there's the nature role of there's this horrible monster. It's a natural creature. Roll a nature roll to con the target, you know, because, you know, use the MMO terms, you know, see how tough the target is compared to you guys. And they're like, this is out of your weight class. This would rampage through a village. You should run. Now use your skills to get away unseen. And good luck with that. As hopefully somebody, in, a druid in the group will say, I'm going to uh, crush this lemongrass to cover our scent to give our stealth person advantage. Because <laughs> that's one thing I love when the players ask for things to help give them advantage in, in, in roles. Because that's that's a cool thing that I do like in 5th edition is the advantage-disadvantage rules. I, I agree. And sometimes 
I think uh, in the games I play, we get too limited. We play, generally speaking, with with flanking as advantage. And focus on that and don't look creatively for other ways to, to get advantage. So I'm, I'm with you, Jim. It's a lot of fun to have those other opportunities. It makes makes encounters more interesting and engaging. And I agree with you. And, and thank you for mentioning that because our groups also do flanking with advantage because it's too cool of a tactical move to leave out. And we're all old school D&D players that want that uh, flanking rule because it should be in the book. As we always jokingly tell our Adventure League friends who don't allow flanking in Adventure League. So, John, where where can folks find uh, your Kickstarter as well as yourself and follow you guys online and social media? So my major social media place is Facebook and I have a Facebook group and page, but the group is much more engaging and interesting. It's 5D inspired by the national parks. So if you do a search on that on Facebook, you'll find it that I believe technically the Facebook name is National Parks 5E. Mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, if you put in 5E National Parks, it does come right up in the search window. I know from experience. <laughs> there you go. And and that's the same place on Kickstarter, too, where you just search 5E inspired by the National Parks, you'll get it right away on Kickstarter. Yep. Or uh, if you follow us on Twitch, I've uh, shared it there already, as well as on the Facebook page, just to make sure the word gets out. Because uh, I do believe there is, is, isn't there a reward for social media? On the there Kickstarter? is. There are, there are social goals, and the social goals tie to, well, one of the things we've already talked about, additional voice acting, and but they pro- help provide more content for each of the national parks. Which I think that that was awesome that you added that in the Kickstarter. So that way, you know, folks are always asking, how can we support if we're cash poor at the moment? Hey, dude, go and share your social media. You know, let your other gamers know about this cool idea because, you know, players who buy something and give to their GM get kudo points for inspiration. I'm just saying. <laughs> Even if it, you're not a GM, you can you can buy it and give it to your GM. And I, I don't know if... You know, this was tactically wise compared to the just the social. I, I've seen on other Kickstarters, the social goal is just share it. And I wasn't quite sure how, you know, I would actually know, like, how do you even and track that and quantify it? So my social goal is joining the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that I've got. And for each 100 additional people that joined the Facebook group during this campaign, then it's tied to a a social reward such as an additional hundred you know words of voice acting mm-hmm. and i just thought that that was a cool thing that had to be mentioned so that's why i brought it up for you <laughs> thank you jim you're welcome hey good ideas man you know good ideas perpetuate more good ideas and is there anywhere else people should uh, follow you on online besides the facebook page no that that's really it for uh, for this project okay so uh, I, I got an important question I try to ask every GM and player out there that focuses on 5th edition because, you know, you've got a lot of 5e content going there. But I want to know, what are their tabletop RPGs that are not D&D that you enjoy playing? Traveler. I, yeah, I, I really enjoy that game, and, and that's fan, fantastic. Now, a recent Kickstarter was Twilight 2000, and that's a you know, another hit from from back in the eighties when my cousins first introduced me to D and D and role playing games and whatnot. But but my my favorite non D and D is is Traveler. That's that's a good exploration one that has lots and lots of uh, diverse opportunities. It's fun. It's <laughs> And definitely has a different play style than D&D in regards to, you know, setting and story and character development. It, it certainly does. And I, I I enjoy rolling. I mean, it's almost a game all in itself, pulling <laughs> up a, a traveler character. When you make that first character, it's total crapshoot. Will, will they? Will they die in character creation? <laughs> I've had more than one character die back in the day. Their life was so interesting. They never made it to the session one. <laughs> That's, yes. <laughs> but it's so is there any shout outs you'd like to give for uh, anybody on your team or your game table? Yeah, well, so I've I've actually 
had a lot of support from from other creators. I've been backing Kickstarters for quite a while, and I, as I did my own here, I reached out to people like yourself, Jim, and said, "Hey, you know, would you would you follow my or would you back my project?" And a lot of them did, and some were very generous, uh, mentioning me in their updates and and whatnot. And so a, a few are uh, Sam Quinton from Sanoa Publishing, and uh, it's Sam's become a real friend. We've we've talked Kickstarter practice tactics and and uh, i've really enjoyed his his stuff so uh hal howard from shard tabletop i i backed shard a while ago but i hadn't used it and reached out to hal and and as i said he put me in a couple of his updates and into his discord server and so so that's been uh just a real pleasure and, and it's made a difference and i've been enjoying the playing with shard tabletop and then uh Mark uh, Tarimo from Dark Wizard Games, Tim uh, Kraus from Tomorrow River Games, Headless Hydra Press. They uh, Shane from from Headless Hydra Press. They did a hex explorer, basically magnets like make make uh, your dungeon or the one they've already did that I have in my house is Overland stuff, and so sort of ties into my theme a little bit more. The one they're currently doing is dungeon, but my kids loved putting all those, you know, forest, desert, river, magnet hexes on the board, playing <laughs> that stuff. And, and uh, so, yeah, so all those folks and, and yourself, Jim, uh, I really appreciate it. And, you know, it does something to, like getting m- mentioned in dispatches or whatnot helps help with backers, but it also importantly helps with just sort of, morale and this fun kickstarter journey when words of encouragement like some of the ones you've given tonight jim or just positive uh mentions from other backers it definitely helps you know helps me keep the the hands on the oars so to speak mm-hmm. yeah i guess you know creator community needs to really support each other because you know hey we're all making cool stuff doing our stuff but you need to touch base and you know give somebody that affirmation of dude what you're making is awesome you know Thank you for making it rather than just making it for your player group at home and then keeping it to yourself and filing it away in the GM's Bible somewhere. Absolutely. And, and critical feedback is very helpful. I mean, any feedback I think is a gift. Mm-hmm. That, that's helpful too. But, uh, but you know, the affirmations have been great too. Yeah. And, and when it comes to doing a Kickstarter, that's, that's like some murky, mysterious ocean you're cruising into of like, what do I need to do? You know, I, I backed Kickstarters uh, about how to do your own Kickstarter. And there's so many complexities nowadays of, you know, in the background of Kickstarter, not to mention that stress when you launch that first day and you're watching all day long until you realize I need to turn this off. (laughs) Absolutely. You can't. The watched baby doesn't sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good analogy. It's better than the boiling pot, you know. (laughs) That's right. So, John, thank you for coming on and hanging out. And, you know, I'm glad we could get together and talk about uh, your Kickstarter because, you know, dude, I'm back in it. I want it to happen. I I want to have these great experiences to to, at my game table bring this out in there. And uh, I do want to remind you that uh, Shard, you mentioned Shard. Uh, I did. On your Kickstarter, isn't uh, everything involved with it going to be shard compatible? It is. And so, or at least any of the parks, if, and that's, that's what almost all the, all the tiers are. I've, I've just recently, based on feedback, added a map only tier. And so those will just be map only, but it's a press of a button to upload a map into shard. But all the, all the parks that I develop will be, uh, available in Kickstarter, and I, I developed this relationship with Hal after the Kickstarter started, so I couldn't go back and and change all the tiers that people already pledged against. But yeah, everyone's going to get the shard package that that backs a park. Yeah, I thought that was really cool when I was reading that. I just wanted to bring that one up too, because you know that that is a cool feature that you know, hey, that another tool that's there for the GM's toolbox. Yeah, and it's and and shard, you know, Hal Howard really step forward to help make that that happen too so he's willing to uh you know support it in this in this campaign is sort of coming in after the fact and then letting us uh just credit everyone to with the package so it's been great support from 
from those team too. That's that's just super cool. And, you know, the whole good makers supporting good makers, just saying, you know. And honestly, that that's one thing I love with the GM maker community is, is GMs are willing to help other GMs. You know, gamers like to support other gamers. We we bring it together as an inclusive community as opposed to gatekeeping and excluding anybody. Yeah, it's been it's been a very positive experience. And I just want to throw it out there. Hey, guys, go check out the Kickstarter. It ends on my birthday on March 24th. You know, I'm just saying. So uh, I could use that as a birthday present if you, the Kickstarter, you know, funds on the 24th. <laughs> awesome. Th- thank you very much, Jim. All right. You're welcome. And and again, John, you know, you're welcome to come on the show anytime. I know we've still tried to have a game happen that just hasn't happened. But just want to let you know, we got a new cyberpunk android shadow of the beanstalk bi-weekly saturday game if you're interested late on saturdays it, do you have some chairs <laughs> android beanstalks uh android shadow of the beanstalk it's basically set on the uh setting from uh genesis from fantasy flight games it uses the genesis rule set which is the dice with symbols and it's set in the netrunner universe so you got that whole ghost in the shell, car- altered carbon, cyberpunk futuristicness. You're expanding my mind, Jim. <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to play the Genesis system, it's the same one Star the new Star Wars uses. It's a really fun system. Awesome. Again, Jim, thank you very much for having me on the show and for all the support. Really okay. appreciate it. Hey, no problem, John. You're very welcome for it. All right, John, thank you for coming on the show and thank you everybody for listening. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition, a member of the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Please follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cppn to never miss a show or stream. Hello, this is Eric and Wendy Strzok with Stone Valley Hobby and Games. We sell board games, card games, role-playing games, and supplies. We have thousands of Magic the Gathering cards available, carry Kickstarter products, and work with veteran-owned small businesses to bring you our own line of products. We are a small business retailer, but we offer competitive prices, a loyalty system, and free shipping on orders over $100. As a military veteran myself, I'm a strong supporter of our armed forces, their families, and contractors out there doing the hard job. So any order from an AA, AE, or EP address will be shipped absolutely free. Remember, StoneValleyGames.com, where we take your leisure seriously.